following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. We are also blessed here at Artisan with an abundance of people who have really great wisdom and insight into the scriptures. And I realized this uh, about a year ago and decided that I wanted to try an experiment uh, which we have called the College of Preachers. It's not about education, although I do think that we are all learning the craft of preaching, those of us who are doing this College of Preachers thing through um, talking with each other. It's more about a collegial approach to proclaiming God's Word in this room. And so you have heard already over the past several months from members of this new uh, experimental team, and it has been really wonderful. I have personally been deeply blessed by the sermons given by the other members of the College of Preachers. And um, today, uh, our College of Preachers preacher is Marielle Jensen Battaglia. And uh, so I'll invite her in just a minute to come up and uh, share from God's Word and from her heart with us. I know you'll be incredibly blessed by that. Um, the past two weeks, you've heard from Dr. Melody Boyd and uh, what that was that was not actually the same thing as the College of Preachers, although she did end up speaking for quite a long time. Um, the reason for that was because she had such great insight and in so much of it that I said, yeah, that thing which was supposed to be three to five minutes, why don't you just go ahead and make it 10 to 15? And she did, and she brought so much wisdom to us and uh, such a challenging, um, like, pile of information <laughs> that... Um, she also kind of incisively applied to the concepts of Advent and waiting and despair and hope in our city. Uh, so today, um, Marielle's sermon actually blends a little bit of those two themes of current events and scripture and personal story. It's all woven together. Um, so Marielle, would you come up now? And uh, she uh, has shared with me some of what she's going to say, and I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. And um, yeah, let's get you one of those music stands. So, thank you for being here, and uh, I would ask you all to give her twice as much attention as you would ever give me, because it's probably going to be twice as interesting. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. Can everyone hear me? Does this sound okay? All right. Um, I'm going to start by turning my timer on, so therefore I will not go over. I just want to take a moment and acknowledge Pastor Scott's hard work with the College of Preachers with um, his being humble enough to not only look beyond himself to his peers, but to his congregation and understanding that the congregation can give back a lot. Um, I'm just really privileged to be a part of the group of really intelligent and talented people that is the College of Preachers. But even more so, I feel very privileged to be speaking to a group of people that is as intelligent and as talented as as Artisan Church and the people that are new and old and um, have been here forever. It's just, it's intimidating, but it's also very, um, it's just very special to me to be able to come up here and talk to you. So now that I've buttered you all up, you'll be listening really well for the rest of what I'm going to share today, correct? Um, I'm going to reiterate what Pastor Scott said about our theme. If you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks of Advent, we've been talking about binding up the brokenhearted, finding a way to dwell with the despair, the suffering that is in our community, but yet also have hope for a future, hope in Christ. Um, In the past couple of weeks, we've talked about racial inequality, we've talked about infant mortality, and this week's topic is no less difficult, um, 
it is eating disorders. We're going to talk about eating disorders today. The more I thought about captivity and oppression in our city and the revised common lectionary text for today, the more I kept coming back around and back around to this topic of eating disorders. Not because it's an issue that's specific to the greater Rochester area, but because it's an issue that's specific to me. Most of you probably don't know this about me. It's not something that I like to share, that I feel comfortable sharing. So oddly enough, here I am sharing it in front of everyone. Um, But I did feel like this was what God was calling me to talk about today. I understand that this is a difficult topic, more so than many people in this room. So I just want to give everyone the warning that I'm going to try to avoid use of any triggering statements Um, I'm going to try to speak in generalities while still giving people who've never dealt with an eating disorder a good idea of what it is like to have one. That being said, if you feel like this is not a good space for you to listen to this topic in, I completely understand. And you can go out and freshen your coffee or go to the restroom and not come back and listen to it on the podcast. That's okay. I, I won't be offended, okay? So, obviously, I have a personal relationship with this topic, but not everyone does. So, how can we, as a congregation, relate to this topic of eating disorders, and more globally, to the uh, theme of captivity and rescue that that we're going to find in the text today? As I start sharing about my story and then moving on to the text, I'd like each of you to be thinking about a time that you personally felt captive, that you felt oppressed, and that you were really hoping for rescue. It doesn't have to be directly related to an eating disorder. In fact, it it could be just about anything. Death, depression, loss of a job, loss of a friend or family member. Just dwell on that topic a little bit as I continue. After I share a little bit about my personal story, I'm going to discuss the texts and then talk about how we can apply them to healing uh, from problems that relate to captivity and eating disorders. And then I'll close with a prayer and communion time. So as I started, we're going to have a slide up here with some statistics. As I started preparing for this, the academic in me just wanted to do this. Okay? I wanted to do the whole sermon on statistics and medical complications, and uh, I didn't want to talk about my story at all. So therefore, I've limited myself to this one slide. It's very unscientific, and uh, we won't talk about anything more than that. But just to say that eating disorders are not an uncommon problem. Uh, In the United States, there's 20 million women, 10 million men that will suffer from an eating disorder at some point in their life. In New York State, there's over 600,000 adolescents, and there's very poor statistics for the adult population in our state. But suffice to say that, um, that it is a problem. A lot of people like to tout the fact that it's the highest mortality rate of psychiatric disorders, but I think that can somewhat minimize the fact that a lot of people with eating disorders don't report it. Um, Subclinical eating disorders are a large problem. It's underreported and undertreated and uh, highly likely to become chronic and lifelong without treatment or intervention. So this isn't a significant problem in our community. Um, When we think about who has an eating disorder or what is an eating disorder, I'm going to give it a very broad definition. We're going to define an eating disorder as a relationship with food and body image that negatively impacts a person's ability to function in their daily life. So many of us, when we think of an eating disorder, may think of a stereotypical picture of a young woman, maybe very visibly thin, um, probably white, and that is a population of people who have one type of eating disorder, but 
there are many types of eating disorders and many different physical appearances that affect men, women, all different um, cultures, classes, and races. When we had the racial reconciliation series, there was a panel, and I remember one of the panelists said something that I'm going to kind of steal from him. He said, you're asking me these questions, and I'm just one, whatever, 47-year-old black man living in the city of Rochester. I don't speak for everyone. And the same for me. As I talk about this topic, I'm just one person addressing it. Um, I don't represent by any means the whole scope of people who suffer from eating disorders. So to talk about my story with having an eating disorder, saying where it began is kind of like, where did the wave in the ocean begin? I mean, I think I always had some type of a problem with insecurity with my physical appearance. I'm not a small person in stature, and so I was always bigger than my peers, and um, I could talk about this at length, but suffice it to say that growing up as a young woman in our society, there's a lot of emphasis on external appearance, and especially emphasis on thinness as being equivalent with self-control, with power, with value, with beauty, um, with all these things that as a young person I wanted. So when I was younger, I started to develop sort of this pattern of when I would feel like I had lost control of a situation or that I was failing in some way, I would just try to eat really healthfully because at least if I ate healthfully, um, I would have done that right. Like this is all going wrong, but my eating is good. At first it was just avoiding certain foods, but eventually this evolved into a cycle of chronic dieting. The more stressed I was, the more I would try to diet and um, the less that I would sort of take care of my body in that way. By the time I got into college, I had developed this into a full-blown coping strategy where um, as a test was coming up or as something tough was happening socially, I would not only choose to eat very healthy foods according to my own definition, but I would also um, decrease the volume of what I was eating. This got into a very kind of dangerous cycle where I would restrict what I was eating, and then when, because I was young and growing and, um, and active, I was an athlete, when I would then eat a lot, what I felt was a lot, um, I wouldn't be able to control it, and then I would binge um, on eating, and then when I was done, I would purge either by exercising or by other methods. And this started to get in the way of a lot of things. Um, at first, it would just be exercising before or after my normal workouts, but then it developed into exercising any time of the day or night. Whenever I felt stressed, I would feel the need to go and exercise. So it disrupted sleep patterns. It disrupted social life. Um, things also started to get very difficult in that I was constantly hungry, and so when I would go to something like the dining hall at my college, it just felt like a overwhelming smorgasbord of failure waiting to happen. Here's all this food, and I'm staring at it, and everyone's staring at me, and, um, and it became completely intimidating. So I started not going, or I started going and taking food and then going and eating in uh, solitude. And um, this made me miss out on a lot of things. Think of places where there's lots of food, right? Birthday parties and, and uh, post-concert, you know, get-togethers and people's um, celebrations for graduation. All these things I, I felt like I couldn't go to unless I knew there wouldn't be any food. It started to spill over into my spiritual life as well. 
So it may seem a little silly, but the act of walking up and uh, picking up a piece of bread and putting it in my mouth in front of a big group of people, I eventually lost the ability to do that. I would completely panic during communion time. And so the church that I was going to, I couldn't participate in communion. Um, At this point, I don't really think that I had an eating disorder in my mind. In my mind, I was trying to lose weight. I was trying to eat healthfully, and, um, and I didn't connect it with a real problem, although I was chronically unhappy, chronically stressed, and fe- feeling very unfulfilled in life. Um, if I relate back to the theme for today, beyond feeling sort of sad or sort of unhappy, what I really felt was just captive. I was stuck in this cycle that I couldn't get out of. I felt like I couldn't you know, come together with my peers and my friends and, and that nothing was ever going to get better. I was stuck. So at this time, I'm going to come back to the story. There is a happy ending. But I want to just turn to the texts that we had for today and just think about how do those talk about captivity, people who were in captivity, people who were oppressed, and what can we take from that for our own personal instances of captivity and oppression. So we're going to start by reading the kind of keystone text here, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. It's page 603 in your red Bible. It begins, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance to our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, as a garden causes what is sown up in it, sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God shall cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So this is a, obviously a very poetic, beautiful text. Um, the author is it somewhat contested. Most would say it is Isaiah, but whether it is Isaiah or not, the intended audience is pretty agreed upon that it's the Israelites. And the Israelites at this point have been exiled from, from their land, from Jerusalem. Their temple will eventually be destroyed. They are essentially captive or oppressed in the sense that they're not allowed to have the land that's been promised to them. And they um, are sort of displaced. But yet there's hope that's offered by this passage. The first couple of verses may sound familiar to you, even if you don't frequent the Old Testament and you haven't read this a lot of times because they're quoted by Jesus in Luke 4, where he describes himself as fulfilling this prophecy. 
Um, He's in the synagogue. Someone hands him a scroll. He opens it. He reads it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He reads that part. And then he says that the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So all the way back to Isaiah in the Old Testament, we're seeing that when there's a theme of captivity, when, when we can identify this instance of captivity and oppression, that there's already this hope for Christ as the Savior. Um, there's another lectionary text for this week that also harkens back to Isaiah. There's um, the verse, verses from John, which I won't, won't read for the sake of time. John 1, 6 through 8, 19 through 28. He uses the words of the prophet Isaiah to describe himself. Okay, he's the voice in the wilderness crying. So there's a lot of precedent for, as you're aware, Old Testament passages being brought back in the New Testament. But in terms of a specifically new context or new passage in the New Testament, I'd like to move to the passage uh, from Thessalonians chapter 5. This is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he gives them this nice little benediction or closing statement here. You can find it on page 960 in your Bible. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. So in contrast to the Israelites, the Thessalonians are not displaced from their land, right? They're living in their city of Thessalonica. They're uh, Gentiles, probably pagans, before they were converted by Paul to Christianity. And they're not captive in that way. They're not sort of forced to leave their city, but... They are captives in a different sense. They're sort of cultural captives, if you will. So they're not allowed to, um, to kind of stay with other people that would be maybe racially or culturally similar to them and, and stay with their pagan tradition or their, possibly their allegiance to, as we've discussed in prior, pass- or prior sermons, allegiance to an emperor or something like that. So they're sort of ostracized that way. And then... You know, the observant Jews, who would be the most familiar with some of the teachings that Paul is offering to them, they don't think that this is a great idea either. You know, the Thessalonians are kind of captive on both sides in a cultural sense. The observant Jews don't agree with what they're doing, and their Gentile pagan cohorts wouldn't agree with what they're doing either. So Paul's writing to them to encourage them to say, persevere, keep going, do what you're doing, because eventually, right, in this verse 23 here, that um, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what's coming for them, okay? Salvation through Christ. Paul himself at the time is also in a type of captivity, okay? So he is, uh, has fled from Thessalonica because he is wanted by these Orthodox Jews, and he's gone to something Corinth, he and Silas, and he's trying to write from there, but as we all know, eventually Paul ends up in prison, right? He, he doesn't stay free forever. So Paul's type of captivity will eventually be literal imprisonment, literally in a prison. And he writes this when he's in prison, Romans 8, 
18, 20 through 21. I'll read it to you. Um, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If you read on past that in Romans, you'll see that Paul, again, circles back around to Christ as the idea of the ultimate savior of of creation. So to summarize, we've had three kind of different types of captivity or oppression um, written in these lectionary passages for today. There's this captivity by exile, the Israelites. There's a captivity by cultural difference, differences, the Thessalonians. And there's a literal captivity or imprisonment uh, of Paul. When I read these beautiful passages, when I was really struggling with having an eating disorder, uh, I don't think I would have gotten, felt personally touched by a lot of these themes of rescue. The oppression maybe I could relate to a little bit, but I didn't feel like these um, themes of someone coming to save you were for me. That was for another people, for another time. People who had real problems, right? They're like, their lives are in danger. It doesn't apply to me. Uh, Even when I was feeling physically, emotionally drained by the way that I was eating, resisting that I had a problem continued. And um, I think what the real problem was for me was that I kept looking at at the billboard picture of someone with an eating disorder. I kept saying, that's not me. My problem isn't that bad. I haven't gone to the hospital yet. I haven't had to have a feeding tube. And therefore, my problem isn't real. But what that led to, saying that I didn't have a problem, was that I must just deserve to feel miserable, that nothing will ever get better. Um, and that, was, a, that was, was and is, thinking about it now, just a really hard concept to get past. When you've all been thinking for the past few minutes now about that time in your life that you felt captive, that you felt oppressed, I wonder if you were sharing some of those feelings. Um, maybe with the people in these passages or with me on the stage. You might be feeling like your struggles are nothing compared to the Israelites or the Thessalonians or Paul in a prison or the people who live in the northeast area of our city or the people who are in hospitals with eating disorders. But the central message from all of these passages is the same, that salvation is coming, that it's not meted out differently for different degrees of problem, that everyone is allowed, deserves the same amount of salvation from Christ. I think that that has taken me till today and will take me until I die to fully grasp how deep that statement is. That Christ, that God doesn't look down and say, your problems are only so high and so I'm not coming for you. Um, I feel that Christ did eventually come for me. In my recovery from an eating disorder, it began not with the church. It began with friends. It began with relatives. It began with people saying to me, I care about you, and I care about your problem. Go find someone to talk to, to care about your problem. So as I continue talking, um, I'm going to be putting some resources up here on the slides 
I haven't personally vetted each of these resources, but I do know that there are resources in our area if you or someone that you love is struggling with an eating disorder. Even if you don't think you have an eating disorder, but you're curious enough to want to go and look, I think that says something, okay? And, um, and I want you to know that there is help, that you don't have to be alone. Um, after I started counseling, I really started to see that maybe things could change. I started to get some coping strategies. I started to become more functional with the way that I was eating. And um, I also met my, my life partner, now my husband, who just, it sounds corny, but the slow daily wearing down of I love you and it's not have anything to do with how you look. I guess it eventually got to me. Um, and um, I, I want to be careful to say that I'm not all better, okay? I still have problems with this, and I don't think that God heals all people in the same way. So if you're sitting here thinking that you just aren't trusting God enough and that's why you're not being freed from your oppression, you're not being freed from your problems, you know, that's utterly false. Please don't leave today thinking that. But what I do want to say is that given a lot of time, patience, prayer, and I believe help from God, I was able to come out of my eating disorder. Um, A big part of that was the people in this room, was the artisan community. Artisan's not perfect, right? We would admit that. But you're here because you see something. And for me, that something was just coming into a space every week where I could feel safe. I could feel not pressured to have to um, conform to what everyone else was doing, to look a certain way, not physically, but spiritually, that it was okay to doubt. And um, the type of people that make up this community are just so loving, so um, generous and giving, that I found myself, after a few months of being here, able to start eating with groups of people. I had gotten somewhat better at eating on my own, but eating with groups of people um, to the point that I was able to go to some communal dinners. A lot of you might be familiar with the Monday night dinners at the Ippolitos. And um, that environment, no one knew while I was sitting there, but it made a big difference for me. Eventually, about six months ago, I was sitting here where you are now, and Pastor Scott said, would everyone come up as you feel led to the communion table? And Andrew leaned over to me and said, why don't you go? And um, for the first time in years, I couldn't think of a reason not to go. I just got up and went. Um, and there have still been days that it's not easy for me, but, but this is the place where I was able to come back around. And I want to thank you for all of that. At this time, I'm going to close um, the sermon with a prayer. This is a prayer that I modified from Catholic Relief Services, and it's a responsive prayer, but the, um, the response part is fairly easy. I'll go over that in a minute. I want to say that I understand completely that what we've been talking about, whether for you it's an eating disorder or depression or anxiety or death or addiction, this isn't an easy thing to think about, okay? And if you've really been letting God look into your 
apart a little bit on this issue, you might be feeling really vulnerable, and that's all right, too. Uh, we are going to have a, a time of prayer with the prayer team up here after communion, and I'm going to sit over there, too, so if you want to talk to someone who has experience, if not expertise, in recovery from an eating disorder, I will be there. Um, and, and don't feel alone. Don't feel afraid. You know, this is a community that can help reach out to you. Okay, so the prayer for the captives. I'm going to read, and then when I pause, I'll look at you or something. You'll say, set all captives free. Okay, so that's your text. Set all captives free. Lord, who came to set the captives free, we have come to know that our hearts are never truly free until they rest in you. And in our love for you, our hearts cry out for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters. So we turn these cries to you. Send your grace to those who long for freedom every day. And so we pray, set all captives free. From oppression and persecution, from the dark of ignorance, from unjust discrimination, from fear and danger, from depression and anxiety, from the anguish of hunger in the presence of food, from self-hatred and hopelessness, from the torment of loneliness and isolation, and from the darkness of sin. We praise the Lord of all freedoms, and in our praise, let us bang no drum, sound no horn, sing no hymn, without remembering those whose lives are still lived in chains. For these ones, for ourselves, through your resounding words of liberty, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, and through the hands of the servants who call upon you now, we pray, set all captives free. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.